A priest and a rabbi were standing by the side of the road one day, and they were both holding up signs. And the rabbi's sign read, The end is near. The priest was on the other side of the road, holding up another sign that read, Turn around before it's too late. Two cars were coming toward him, and they were waving their signs wildly. The first guy rolled down his window and yelled at him, Get a job! The car right behind him, the guy said, Leave us alone, you bunch of religious nuts! Seconds later, from around the curve came the sound of screeching tires and a big splash, followed by more screeching tires and yet another splash. And the one said to the other, You know, maybe we ought to just put up a sign that says bridge out. I'd like some scripture this morning from Matthew chapter 24. That up there. There it is. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. I decided to speak on the end is near because I've been troubled lately. My heart has been troubled by what's going on in our world. And more importantly, what's going on here in the United States? So much hatred, so much animosity. Sadly, these days, it does seem as if the end might be near, doesn't it? We're seeing the signs. You know, evil is increasing in the world. Mass shootings have become a staple of the news. Columbine High, Sandy Hook Elementary, Las Vegas, Orlando, Virginia Tech, Parkland, El Paso, and Dayton, Ohio, both in the same day. So many others. You know, there was a time in this country when people treated each other with a great deal of respect when it was perfectly okay for somebody to have an opinion that you disagreed with. And yet we could still be civil to each other, couldn't we? Even friendly with each other. But oh my, how things have changed today. It seems as if people have become filled with hatred. And some people can't even have a simple conversation anymore without resorting to name-calling saying or writing nasty things about each other over guns, politics, immigration, health care, schooling. The list is just endless. 
There are wars going on. And there are rumors of more wars. Economic conflicts between nations. Droughts in places, floods in other places. Increasingly frequent and worsening hurricanes upon our planet as the planet continues to heat up, melting the glaciers and the ice caps. <laughs> Who needs war when we seem bent on destroying ourselves? Maybe, maybe the end is a little bit closer than what any of us realize these days. We hear these things in the news reports and it's scary. It makes you want to stop listening to the news altogether. Because these things make us feel helpless and hopeless, don't they? I'll tell you something. The truth of the matter is we got an enemy out there. We have a very real enemy out there who would like absolutely nothing better than to us for us to be paralyzed in our fear. He wants us to believe that we are powerless, we are helpless, and we are without hope. Our enemy wants us to keep feeling hopeless and fearful. He wants us to be ignorant of the power that actually lies right here within our grasp. And fear, fear is one of the main weapons that he uses to make us into an ineffective, paralyzed people. But Deuteronomy 31.6 tells us to be strong, to be courageous. Don't tremble. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God is the one who is going with you. He won't abandon you or leave you. Boy, that is some really good news in these times. It really is. And the truth of the matter is, on our own, guess what? We are pretty much helpless and hopeless. But the good news is, we're not alone. We have a Savior. We have an ally who has already won the war. Yeah. Yes, there are battles still to be fought, but the war has already been played out and won in the heavenlies. Christ has already defeated our enemy, and we have nothing left to fear. But let's not forget, ever, yeah, we still are at war. We got battles to fight. A new submarine <clears throat> was being tested, and it had to remain submerged overnight. And when it returned to the harbor the next day, the captain was asked, well, how did it handle in that storm last night? And the officer was surprised, and he said, storm? Didn't even know there was a storm. The sub had been so far beneath the surface that it had reached the area known to the sailors as the cushion of the sea. Although the ocean above could be whipped into high waves, huge waves by the winds, the deep waters never even get stirred down there. The church needs to become the cushion of the sea for believers. A place where our minds will be protected against the fury of the storms that raging around us, creating huge waves of fear and worry and hopelessness. The church needs to be the place, my friends, where we can be sheltered by God's grace, where we can be encouraged by His Holy Spirit. And I promise you, there are going to be storms in our lives, all of our lives. We will be confronted by the face of evil in our world. We will be called to fight against it. But 
We will prevail against the gates of hell. If we remember that the church is the place we need to come to to recharge our souls, to renew our spirits, and to prepare ourselves for the coming battle, the storm will come. But the church, the cushion of the sea, is the place for us to gather in order to restore our hope, our strength, and our power. <clears throat> so how exactly does the church function as a cushion of the sea in these end times? You know, normally when we hear those words, the end is near, it's speaking to the individual about repenting before it's too late. But in Peter's first letter, he's instructing the church itself how to function during the end times. We are the church, and we all have a part in this body of Christ. Pastor Wayne Cadero was once invited to be present at the helm of a battleship. And he stood at the helm of this massive, loading city of weapons. And he watched all of these sailors at their positions. And then the captain gave the order to man the battle stations. And 800 sailors immediately sprang to action. Pastor Cordero was absolutely amazed at how quickly, how efficiently each one of these men moved to the perfect exact position and knew exactly what to do when he got there. Now just a few weeks later, <clears throat> he was walking the deck of a cruise ship and he was thinking about how different are these great and mighty ships. Well, the differences between battleships and cruise ships is a good analogy for the church to use. Why is that? It's because we need to understand that Jesus Christ built the church as a battleship, not a cruise ship. Too many Christians today, especially here in the United States, tend to think of the church of Jesus Christ as a cruise ship. The truth is, too many of us are far too concerned with meeting our own personal needs and wants. So we seek out a church that provides comfort, fellowship, one that has a well-staffed nursery, youth programs, small groups that are relevant to what we want. And if this cruise ship doesn't have those things we want, well, hey, we'll just go find another one. When you hear, hear the term church shopping, that's what they're talking about. There are people who simply come to church. And there is a huge difference between them, between just coming to church and being the church, my friends. When you are busy being the church, that's when you recognize you got a job to do. You have a responsibility. And that all of your shipmates are counting on you to do your part just like all the sailors on that battleship. And people who understand that know that the church is a place that is supposed to meet the needs of other people, the ones for whom Christ died. These are the people who are oppressed, who are lonely, who are in pain, people hungering for hope, for something, anything that they can hang their hat on. And when we accept that, that's when we can see that Jesus Christ really did intend for the church 
to be a battleship. Not once did he think we were going to build ourselves a cruise ship. And once we understand that, once we accept that we are a battleship, and that every one of us has a station and a job to do, and every other member is counting upon us to do our job, that's when we can finally prepare ourselves for the coming assault on the gates of hell. <clears throat> Elaine Pagels is a pastor at Princeton. She's a humanitarian scholar who specializes in early Christianity, even though she doesn't attend church. She's not a church person at all. Like so many other intellectuals, Elaine had given up completely on the church, feeling it to be unworthy of her attention or effort. But you know what? All of that changed in one day. Professor Pagels wrote a book titled Beyond Belief that shows how God can reach out and touch absolutely anyone. It was a cold Sunday morning. She was out for her daily run. <clears throat> and she stopped at a nearby church just to step into the front door to warm up for a couple of minutes. The day before, <clears throat> her two-year-old son had been diagnosed with a terminal lung disease. I can't imagine the pain. I can't imagine the emotions that this woman was going through. Here's how she described what happened to her in that church that day. She says, I hadn't been in church in a long time. So I was startled by my response to the worship in progress. The soaring harmonies of the choir singing with the congregation. The woman priest in gold and white vestments praying in a clear, resonant voice. The day after Mark's diagnosis, a team of doctors urged us to authorize a painful lung biopsy. <clears throat> How could that help, we asked. Well, it can't, they said, but it'll show us how far the disease has progressed. Mark was already exhausted from the previous day. Holding him, I felt if a bunch of masked strangers kept poking him with needles, he might just give up and die. So we refused the biopsy, gathered up his blanket, his clothes, his Peter Rabbit. We carried him home. And standing in that church that day, I recognized that I needed to be here. Here is a place where you can cry without imposing tears upon a child. Here is a community that gathers together in order to sing, to acknowledge their common needs, and to deal with what we cannot control nor even imagine. Here is a family that knows how to face death. Can any of us go through a worse hell than that? Where can a person turn to for help? when they need it like that. To God's church, that's where. Where can the homeless turn for comfort or help? Who cares about those people? The church, that's who. You know, families are torn apart daily by drugs, alcohol, abuse. Young lives are being destroyed before they even begin. Old people are being warehoused. Who helps them? Who cares about them? 
the church. That's who. The warriors of the church. The soldiers of the cross. Sadly, people who thought they were buying a ticket on a cruise ship may not even understand what I'm saying. They're still waiting for their personal needs to be met. For the steward to come and ask them what they need today or what they would like. But thankfully, there are others who do get it. They're the ones who desperately want the church to become something far better than it's ever been. To truly be a beacon in this dark world. The church must make a difference in the lives of people or its existence is meaningless. I'm going to say that again. The church must make a difference in the lives of people or its existence is meaningless. We have signed on to a battleship, my friends, and our job is to work hard at saving other people. People outside the walls of this particular building. And as the end times draw ever nearer, now is the time for all of us to, sec- to accept that indeed we are warriors. We are soldiers of the cross. We are not on a vacation cruise in the South Seas. We all have to man our battle stations and we have to do the jobs that our shipmates are counting on us to do. Yeah. Folks, there are people out there right now. There are people out there in our very own community who desperately need us. There are single mothers, elderly people, young children, and teenagers who know that God need to know that God is there. He exists. And that He loves them and that He forgives them and He has a place for them. There are people out there right now in our very own community who are hurting in ways You and I cannot even imagine. There are little children being abused on a daily basis. There are young people getting involved in sex and drugs. Oh my God, even in grade school. There are adults falling into alcoholism and destroying their own families. And these people desperately need our help. These people need to know that the battleship Victory is running at flank speed on the way to save them. They need to know that somebody out there really does care about them. And guess what? We are that somebody. Because church is not about us, my friends. It's about the people out there. As we prepared for this message today... Susie was doing some research. She came across something neither one of us had ever heard before. It was an article about, of all things, sunflowers. Now, most of us have seen large fields of sunflowers being cultivated commercially. And what she found out in her research was that sunflowers actually track the sun. In a scientific process called heliotropism, These plants actually turn their face to the sun, and then they track it throughout the day in order to absorb the maximum amount of energy that the sun offers. As Mr. Spock would say in Star Trek, fascinating. But you know what I really found fascinating? It's this. 
What happens on a rainy day or a cloudy day when they can't see the sun? He said, at that time, the sunflowers turn their faces to each other so that they can absorb energy and give energy to the other plants. That's as good an analogy of the church as I think that you're ever going to run across. And that's why we need to be together with like-minded people of faith. We, as the church, need to follow the SON Son. And we can turn our faces to our brothers and sisters in Christ in order to share their energy with us and ours with them. But in order to do that, we have to commit ourselves to coming together regularly, to building up our strength, our power, and then sharing it with others. Those people outside there. Back in 1989, former President Bush was entering St. John's Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C. when he was stopped by William Brown, Jr., a homeless man, who asked the president to pray for him. And the president shocked his entire party by saying, No. No. You come inside with us and pray for yourself. And from that day on, William Brown Jr. was a regular attendee at that church. The man in ragged, smelly clothes sat right next to the rich and powerful. And at collection time, this homeless man put a dollar in the plate, which one usher was said, said was the same amount that some of the other people were putting in. You know why he was so generous with his meager resources while his wealthy counterparts were so stingy? Of course you do. Because to many of the wealthy, they see the church as a cruise ship. They are not giving to the Lord's work. They're just giving God a tip. And it wasn't a very good one at that. But Williams saw the church as a battleship. And as a consequence, he felt like he needed to do his part. We see the signs that the end is near. Now more than ever before. And just as evil is spreading an ever-widening net throughout our country, throughout our world, the greatest defense we have, God's own church, is itself. Coming under attack from individuals and organizations that say we are irrelevant, we are useless, and we are foolish. So we must be prepared to fight. We are not helpless. We are not powerless. God's Spirit, who is with us, is greater than the devil who is in the world. I told you earlier that Peter's first letter instructed the church about what to do in the end times. Well, this is what it says. Would you please put up, Peter? The end of everything is near. Therefore, practice self-control. And keep your mind clear so that you can pray. Above all, love each other warmly, because love covers many sins. Welcome each other as guests without complaining. Each of you, as a good manager, must use the gift that God has given you to serve others. Whoever speaks must speak God's word. Whoever 
whoever serves must serve with the strength God supplies, so that in every way God receives glory through Jesus Christ. Glory and power belong to Jesus Christ forever and ever. Furthermore, Hebrews goes on to tell us, brothers and sisters, you are holy partners in a heavenly calling. You understand what that even means? That means that you cannot fulfill God's calling on your life all on your own. It's impossible, you see, because calling and community go hand in hand. You have been called to complete your calling within the community of the church, along with other believers, a place where you work together, a place where you support one another, a place where all the believers are holy partners in a heavenly calling. So take a look around you this morning. The people you're looking at, the people sitting next to you, those are your holy partners in God's calling on your life. You need them, and they need you. You simply cannot fulfill your call in God's life without them. So keep your faces turned to the sun, the S-O-N. And when those clouds come, and they most assuredly will, turn your faces to each other for power, for strength, for the task that lies ahead of you. Man your battle stations, full speed ahead. War is coming to us. But Christ himself has promised us that we will go on the attack and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Awesome. I love that analogy. Uh, battleship versus cruise ship. You know, uh, maybe, not judging anyone, but maybe you saw yourself on one ship or the other today. Um, I heard in my spirit, all aboard. Amen? All aboard. We need to get on board with God's plan. God has a plan, and, and that scripture he first put up there, he that endures to the end. You know, enduring isn't just existing. Enduring is actually doing the will and the work of God until God says our days here are over. So I want to do that. I want to get on board, and I love the analogy of the battleship versus the cruise ship, and the <clears throat> battleship, everybody took their stations in a minute's notice. They knew where they were to be. Do you know where you are to be in the body of Christ today? Do you know where to be on God's battleship today? If you don't, you can. Could you stand your feet this morning? God has an awesome plan for every one of us, no matter where we are in our spiritual walk, wherever we're not in our spiritual walk. God has a perfect plan. I just want you to rest your life in Him today. Put your life in His hands. And if it's in your heart, how about saying, God, I'm ready to get on board. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but today maybe you see things in a little different light, a little different way, in a more serious way. That we have a job to do and we have a part to play on a battleship for God. We need to influence everywhere we go. We need to be an influence, shining the light and truth and the power of God, salvation of God. So could you bow your hearts with me? Father, I thank you for Steve's message today. I thank you, Lord God, for that anointed message to give direction and guidance. 
I pray, Lord God, that as hearts were open today, Lord God, that so many would choose to follow you in a greater way, in a more, uh, 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 in a more dedicated, committed way. I pray, Lord God, that we would see ourselves as getting on board a battleship for your glory, a battleship for your praise, a battleship to bring Christ and the light of truth into this world that we live in, even though it is seemingly waxing worse and getting worse all the time. I thank you, Lord God, that we are the church that can change the course, that you've put us here to be an effective uh, uh, difference maker. So, Lord God, help us to be the difference makers you've called us to be. I pray, Lord God, that we would all get on board with you, Lord God, in a closer way than we've ever walked with you before. I thank you, Lord God, for your plans, your direction, your guidance, and your wisdom. Direct us, Lord God, to be the church you've truly called us to be. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks again, Steve. Awesome.